we have a, a special guest with us, and uh, today we're celebrating uh, IDOP. It stands for the International Day of Prayer uh, for the Persecuted Church. And this is one of the passions of uh, my heart for over the years as I think about what it must be like not to be able to come freely to a place like this, uh, to gather freely with the saints, uh, to sing uh, as loudly as you can, and to rather be in, a, in the woods, uh, quiet, be in a basement. Uh, you can't be too loud. You want to get arrive at the building different times from other people so nobody can identify this is a place where a church meets. And we just don't have any concept of what it's like. In 2000, I uh, was part of a team, uh, Voice of the Martyrs. We smuggled Bibles into Laos and Vietnam. And I had an opportunity to sit with some pastors uh, in those places and hear what life is like for them and how different their concerns are from ours. And so I want to invite Ed Fleming to come up here this morning. Ed is uh, representing a uh, a worldwide ministry to persecuted Christians that's uh, 27 years old. Barnabas Aid is based in the UK, but last year they moved their uh, American operations to, the, to Lancaster County, and so we're glad to have him here. Uh, Ed just moved from uh, Mechanicsburg to Marietta, so you're almost a homeboy by now, and uh, we're glad to have you here this morning. Ed represents Barnabas Aid, also works with a mission organization called ABWE, and uh, brother, would you come? Let me pray for you and come minister to us. Father, thank you for uh, this opportunity. I pray for Ed as he shares um, your heart for the world and your heart for your church around the world. I pray that you would give him great freedom and he would know he's among friends and that we this morning might be reminded about this vast, vast, wonderful group of people that we're part of uh, from Angola to Azerbaijan, from uh, Indonesia to India, who love Jesus Christ, and that our hearts might be knit one with theirs this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Well, thank you. It's a great privilege to be here. It's an honor. I've pastored for more than 50 years as a pastor and teacher, and in these golden years, the Lord has given me the opportunity to pulpit supply, and primarily to represent Barnabas Aid. There's a lot of organizations that are ministering to the persecuted church, and God landed me here, and it's a wonderful privilege to be here. It's a blessing to meet your pastor. I haven't known him very long, but I sense that there's a real passion in his heart for this. He also has a passion for the local church, as I do as well. My purpose for being here today is as you just heard, your pastor has a heart for believers around the world who are suffering in many ways, simply because they love the Lord Jesus Christ. At Barnabas Aid, the organization I represent has been committed to serving the needs of persecuted Christians officially since 1989. Since then, we've assisted with various needs in 92 countries. Our founder and director, Dr. Patrick Sukdeo, himself was a convert from Islam after several years of serving as an evangelist in urban missions in East London, became burdened along with his wife for the church, that's a capital C, and Christian organizations in the Muslim world. 
While serving as the international coordinator for the Lausanne movement in the 1980s, they were focusing on the condition of Christians in those Muslim countries. In 1989, some Christian leaders in Muslim-majority countries got together and sent them a request. This request stated that they were very concerned that there was no acknowledgement of the suffering of believers in the Muslim context. It seemed that a lot of emphasis was given to Christians who were suffering in the communist world, but there was not an awareness of the plight of believers in the Muslim world. I'm going to quote now from our 20th anniversary magazine and tell you what happened. Quote, A conference was convened in Cyprus and brought together senior Christian leaders from Africa, Asia, and the Middle East, along with leaders from the West. From this conference, two things were decided. Number one, they would begin to do some research, looking at what was happening in the different contexts, trying to get accurate information on the church and on the nature of persecution. And secondly, they decided that a relief agency should be established to bring help and assistance to those persecuted Christians in Muslim contexts. Well, when Dr. Sukdeo returned to the UK, he started working on the research. And instead of trying to create an aid agency, he thought it'd be wise to ask the existing mission agencies and Christian aid agencies if they would want to be a part of this initiative. Almost all of them responded with, quote, ain't going to happen. Now, that's a colloquial way of saying not possible. Can't, can't happen for various reasons. And so with faith in God, he went ahead with the decision to start Barnabas Aid. And as Paul Harvey used to say, you know the rest of the story. At this point, I want to stop and show you a PowerPoint to further explain what we do, who we are, how we minister. I will highlight, I can't go into deep depth of a lot of things, but I'll highlight some things that we do and show you what we do and how you can be a part of praying for Barnabas Aid. This is who we are. Why are we Barnabas Aid? Our key verse is Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I want you to notice the key word in that verse is especially. We are to minister to anyone and everyone at all times, but that verse tells us that especially brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ should be on our radar. How do we do it? We do it from Christians, through Christians, to Christians. How are the funds divided? Well, our overhead is less than 12%. We send 88% of what comes into us right to the field, right to the places where it goes. Any donations that are sent to a specific project, 100% of those donations go for that project. Let me tell you a little bit about the places of the world where things are affected and what we're doing. In these unprecedented times, we've responded immediately with appeals and funds to help in multiple countries. More than 500,000 people, Christians, were fed in 32 countries in three months. Here's a lady, a Bangladeshi Christian. Her name is Fulmoni, and her husband began following Christ about five years ago. Last year, her husband died. 
And because she's a believer, her two sons said, we're not going to help you. And she was, to say the least, destitute, not knowing how she was going to eat and how she was going to live. Please notice her response to what was given to her. This is a heavenly gift. I can smile now because I will not die without food. Jesus' people are loving people. In the country of Kenya, Alice, who was a widow with four sick daughters, didn't know what she was going to do. Alice had a job on a flower farm making $2.35 a day. But when COVID-19 came, all of the employees at that job lost their job. She says, I have received support from the church in the form of maize and white flour, fresh maize, beans, vegetables, cooking oil, and I pray to God and thank Him and bless those people who ministered to me and took care of me and my family. We call this a sensitive country because if you're aware, there are some places in the world where missionaries and workers can't tell you where they're at. It's too dangerous. There are security issues. But this is a sensitive country in Southeast Asia. Here's a lady who received food and supplies from our ministry. In Zimbabwe, something that has happened over the last year or two, a severe drought has come. Um, in some places last year in Zimbabwe, it got more than 50 degrees Celsius. Not Fahrenheit, Celsius. That's over 100 degrees. And because of that, the crops did not grow. And there was a lot of malnutrition because food could not be gotten. Many children suffer from malnutrition and stunted growth. And then the coronavirus came, and that was even worse. And we at Barnabas Aid are helping to deal with that issue. For our older Christians in Armenia, we were able to supply food. In India, the extra vulnerable. Now, I don't know if you can tell by looking at these people, but both of them are blind. And so that makes it difficult to begin with. But when COVID came and they were not able to get food, someone had to help them, and we did. In India, Christians and pastors and their families are sometimes excluded from government aid distribution. Since 2013, the Lord has privileged me to go to foreign countries, a lot of times to India, and train pastors. And I've met some as our brother has, and we know how difficult it is for them. And many of them, the only support they get are from the congregation's offerings on Sunday. Well, when the COVID came, the congregations could not meet. They could not collect an offering. And so the pastor, who is often the source of supplying needs to others, then became one who himself needed to have aid and distribution. In Nepal, we have helped the poor. Lockdown came because of the congregations could no longer give the suffering Christians. This pastor and his family were needing aid and food. In Nepal, we've helped the poor. Rice, lentils, cooking oil, salt, dried beans, wheat flour for those very poor Christian families. In Indonesia, we've also been involved in giving distribution, again, to pastors who are in desperate need. In Rwanda, another place where pastors and their families, again, are in need. As I said a moment ago, they are the ones who usually are the go-between in the distribution of the aid and the food. But when they became needy, they had to have someone to help them as well. Pastors themselves, in order for them to take care of their flock and their family, had need of aid. Here's a picture of some of the uh, food and hygiene items that were given to those in the lockdown. This is a common scene. Now, if you look closely... 
That's not a new style of a shirt. Those are locusts. This is a Christian farmer in Pakistan. And if you've been following what's been happening around the world in the Middle East and now is spreading to the Sahel, India, and Sri Lanka, the locusts are devastating the crops. It's my understanding they've had three waves of locusts in this part of the world. Well, if you take locusts, a drought, and COVID-19, you get the picture. And that's what they've been dealing with. Said this, brother, we were praying God to send angels to help. Our prayers brought results, and God sent Barnabas aid to us. This is Thako, a Pakistani Christian farmer and his wife, Danny. Their crops were wiped out by the locusts. This is an interesting picture because this is a 92-year-old lady who's being led to church by her grandson. She didn't know what she was going to do. She had no food. Someone came by her house. She recognized his voice as a pastor. And she thought, oh, pastor, thank you for visiting me. I, I enjoy you coming and ministering to me and praying for me. He said, well, I have one more thing to tell you, and that is we've got food down at the church. Please come and get it. And so she had to be led down to the church in order to receive what she got. In Kenya, Uganda, and Zambia, there have been floods. If you follow the news, they've been devastating floods. This is a picture of a lady who's carrying her goat in order to keep it alive. In this flood in Kenya, the 194 were killed, and the waters washed away 8,000 acres of crops that had even survived the locusts. And then the coronavirus. At Barnabas Aid, we sent aid for 6,000 flood victims, 4,800 in Uganda, and 1,200 in Zambia. Now, what else does Barnabas do? Twelve different categories. And again, I wish I could spend more time in each one of them. I would just highlight what we do. But we are deeply involved in ministering to the church around the world in various ways. We deal with victims of violence. If you sign up, and by the way, out in the lobby, there's literature. Take whatever you'd like, and please sign up to get this. It's free. Uh, I devour the Barnabas magazine every month. As a matter of fact, the reason I'm with Barnabas 80 is because of that magazine. I've prayed for them. I've supported them. I've, I've been blessing God for them. But a while back, I read a magazine, and the first article in the magazine was about four children and their parents who were accosted by terrorists. And they said, tomorrow morning, we're going to kill all of you. And they let the children go. The children got alone and were very scared. But through the night, they prayed. And they believed that Jesus told them that they were not going to die, nor were their parents. The next morning, they came. They were lined up with their parents. The terrorists had their rifles. And they said, okay, are you going to deny Jesus Christ? And the children said, no, we're not going to deny Jesus Christ, and you're not going to kill us. And as soon as that child finished saying that, one of the terrorists said, snakes, snakes, do you see these snakes around here? And they all ran because they saw snakes. I read that article and was so moved, I sent an email off to the UK. And I said, I've, I've read about you. I've supported you. I believe in you. I pray for you. If you ever need anyone to go out and speak on your behalf, sign me up. 
Five minutes later, I got an email back from Jeremy Frith from the UK. He said, this is incredible. I said, why? He said, we have been praying for somebody in the United States to help represent us. We're getting ready to move our headquarters in the U.S. from McLean, Virginia down to Lancaster, and we'd love to have you be a part. And that's how it happened. I encourage you to read and learn about what's going on around the world, and I believe if you do, God will move upon your heart and you will join the band of Christians. I think one of the greatest struggles in America is that people don't know. They just don't know. I'm, I'm amazed. We, we're going to join a church next week at Marietta, and it, the congregation there is a wonderful church, great pastor, great people. And I was just talking with one man who's been there for a long time, and he says, what do you do? And I said, well, I do this, I do that, and I work with, with Barnabas Aid. He said, who's Barnabas Aid? He said, you don't know? He goes, no. So he got a magazine, and he's come on board with learning who we are and supporting us. Victims of violence. Surely you're aware of that, are you not? Well, maybe not, because I'm not sure that all the news outlets let us know about that. Pink, lady in pink, she lost her husband. In Nigeria, perhaps more than any place over the last several weeks, there have been incessant, continuous attacks by the Fulani herdsmen and the Boko Haram in that village. They will come one day, they will kill and murder many. They go away, come back the next day, and they'll do it again. And they relentlessly are murdering and killing people. They'll even go to the door and knock on the door and say, are you a Christian? Yes. Boom. Just that quick. Just for knowing and loving Christ. Here's a widow who lost her husband. And one of the things we do at Barnabas Aid is we give widows twice as much supplies as we do others because we believe they have extra need with their families. Pastor Yanli, he's the one wearing orange. This is his speech to a group of people. There are people who are far away from us and who heard the news of our plight. I send my thanks to Barnabas Aid who hurried to our aid. They sympathize with our pain in prayer and financial support. The bags of corn and rice you see are a sign of their compassion. Thankful for what God did through our organization and ministry. Nigeria, that's what I just talked about a moment ago. April the 14th, 2020, they were attacked. The slide on the left there, they're burying nine people who were murdered the night before, including three little children and two women who were pregnant. That is a common occurrence, particularly in Nigeria. We, as God's people, must do what we can to help and assist, and that's what we're doing. When you've done and rekindled the faith in our people that indeed God does care, said this person, having received that aid in Nigeria. Now, there's a special need for what we call victims of injustice. In Pakistan particularly, they work at brick kilns, and when they are in need of something and they don't have the money, they'll go to the Muslim owner of the brick kiln and ask for a loan. And he's more than happy to give them that loan because he knows they'll never be able to pay it back. And so they are bound to that man for the rest of their life until someone comes along and pays their debt. Well, these folks were freed. A thousand and two families have been freed. They're 
in part of phase 12, what we're doing is building homes and releasing them from their debt and helping them to get established. Phases 14 and 15 are soon to begin. This is Wilson Buddha and his wife Nazia. Their daughter is four, and her name is Swera. Something else we do, we take care of children and their education, Christian schools for Christian children. Little boy on the right there is 12 years old, but his education was so insufficient that he had to catch up. And by our help and assistance, he has caught up and he's doing very well. Resourcing ministry, Bangladesh, their solar panels. Now, that's not for, for heat. <laughs> One of the things that does is give them electricity. And in some parts of the world, uh, they can have services on Sunday night and other nights during the week if they have light, if they have electricity. This helps them to store that electricity and have light so that they can meet and study the Bible and pray together. And our helping with those solar panels is involved in their ministry and helping them to do that. In Uzbekistan, a new church building was erected by Barnabas Aid for six congregations. They share it together. You're aware of many places in the world where churches are outlawed or destroyed or regulated so hard by the government that they can't meet, and if they do meet, they're told what they have to say and how the pastor is supposed to preach. Another ministry is self-sufficiency. These ladies here are making soap. And they take that soap and they're able to sell it. They're able to supply financial commitments to their families and help take care of their children and families. Another thing that we do is we have small businesses for converts. Those on the left there is the, are, are goats and sheep. On the right, there's some food. It's something that we do for the small businesses for those who are converted to Christ. A small business can make a lot of difference in a family. These goats are from Uganda. South Sudanese refugees in Camp Rhino. In Pakistan, they have sewing and literacy centers. We saw this when we go to India. Women get together for nine months and they learn how to sew. And from the garments that they make, they can open up a shop in their home and they can earn money to be able to help with their husbands and families. Computer center is also something else that's very popular. And if they can learn how to use computer, and all of it's free, if they can learn to use a computer in nine months, they get a certificate and they can get a job and help take care of their family. Practical needs are met for those who are afflicted. In Albania, 2019, there was a double earthquake. Albania is the fourth poorest country in Europe. Just as winter was setting in, these earthquakes came. Thousands were homeless, including hundreds of Christians, and they were sleeping in tents, in cars, and if they didn't have either one of those, they were sleeping out in the open air. We were able to help give shelter and clothing and food. In Armenia, that's not an oil <laughs> heater, that's wood. But that's what they use to heat their house and to take care of their warmth necessities during the wintertime. And so we were able to... Oftentimes the poor have to choose between food and warmth. We don't want them to have to choose between those two. We want them to have both. Widows. If I understand correctly, the Word of God only has one verse 
of the definition of religion. You know where that's found? You should know this. James chapter 1 and verse 27, pure religion before God and the undefiled is this, to visit the fatherless and the widow. By the way, that word visit is the same idea as a qualification for elders to oversee, to minister to, to make sure they're taken care of. Visit the fatherless, the orphans, and the widows, and to keep yourself unspotted from the world and living in holiness. Here, her name is Kalita. She says, my children used to cry for milk, but I could only give them water. And when she did get some milk, she would have to water it half and half, and she would get some, and the kids would get some, just barely existing each day. Equipping leaders, future leaders in Sri Lanka. These men in these sessions are anywhere from 19 years old to 65 years old. They're low-income backgrounds. Some of them are trying to serve churches, and they need help. One of my passions is to train pastors who have no access to education or books or learning. And so we go and we train and do what we can to help them and assist as they minister to their congregations. Well, we at Barnabas Aid do that. Future leaders in Uzbekistan, a youth Bible school and conferences are taking place because of the ministry. Five youth conferences and youth Bible programs in different regions of Uzbekistan. And of course, if you're like me and you're a reader, this is very dear to your heart. They got to have reading resources. They have to have books to read, to learn. And this is something else that we do to establish bookshops in, in places. This lady, if you'll notice, I'm 50 years old. This is the first time in my life that I have a Bible. Stop for just a moment. Think about that. How many Bibles do we have in our home sitting there and collecting dust? I'm not chiding us. I'm just saying we don't have that problem. We can go to a bookstore and purchase one. Fifty years old, the first time she saw a Bible. This is something that we do. We distribute literature, Bibles, and New Testaments. Bibles for internally displaced persons. When the war came to our village, we had to flee. I had one Bible from the Sunday school. We were hiding in the jungle, and my Bible was in my bag. Then all of a sudden, the soldiers discovered us and started shooting at us. I had no time to get my bag, and I left. And it was eight years later when I finally got a Bible. Precious is the Word of God to these folks. Now, let me just quickly run through this. This is just kind of a recapitulation of what I've been sharing more specifically. In the year from April 2019 to March 2020, 418 payments, 348 projects, 63 countries. And how was that done? Well, 44,000 were assisted in 17 countries with feeding programs, 150 water projects in five different countries, 69,000 disaster victims in 11 countries, victims of violence, there were 26,000 individuals assisted in 19 countries. Education of 14,000 children were supported in 138 schools and institutes in 15 countries. I know I'm going quick here, but if you get our literature, you can get all this more specifically. Theological and other leadership training support for 30,000 individuals in 22 countries. 320 full-time Christian workers, 213 pastors, and 107 evangelists were supported in 16 countries. 12,000 individuals were helped with small business livelihood projects in 12 countries so that they could support themselves. 2,000 converts were helped in 11 countries. 
1,400 individuals in eight countries were helped with medical projects for their physical needs. Nineteen church buildings, including renovation and repairs, were helped in seven countries. Christian literature, a total of 196,000 items, including 13,000 Bibles and 117,000 New Testaments in 18 countries. Investing in hope. This is a special plan that we're doing because it concerns the future. Training and equipping church leaders. Smartphones, laptops, internet connection. And with COVID, we have to be creative, don't we? As far as learning and sharing the gospel and helping others. This looks familiar to you, doesn't it? <laughs> it never looked familiar to me till this year. I've, um, I'm learning Zoom, sorta, sorta. We're in church. I got to tell the truth. This is. I don't like the word new normal. I'm not sure what that is, but I have a feeling this is going to be a recurring way. And praise the Lord. Uh, very soon I'm going to have the privilege of training and mentoring pastors in India, and this is what I'm going to have to use, so I'm going to have to get good at this or at least proficient. Education of Christian children, this is also a passion of my heart. I've been in education schools. I still substitute teach. I've been an administrator. Education of children, that's the important thing. You, you've got to get their minds and their hearts while they're young and fill it with the right things, and then they'll turn out, Lord willing, in a better way. Income generating projects, we've talked about that. Uh, this is an organic agricultural training in Kalimantan province. This is a tempe. You know what tempe is? It's kind of soured soybeans. You make it into a flat cake. Well, these can be made and can be sold and money can be made. Healthcare, very important. Bibles and other resources, again. New Testaments, literature. Uh, our own magazine, The Barnabas Today, is, is a part of that as well. Practical help for the most vulnerable, victims of violence, disaster victims, converts to Christianity, widows, orphans, displaced, needy communities, and water projects. You feel like you've just drunk from a fire hose? It would take a whole lot longer for me to go in depth of these things. But again, out in the lobby, there's lots of literature. Please sign up and get it. It's free. God will speak to you. It'll help you know how to pray. Uh, every, every month or two, every two months, they send out a daily, everyday prayer request to places around the world in needs. It's part of my devotional life. It's just, it keeps you on fire and, and up, to, up to par with what's going on. Well, that's what we do. Someone once said, sitting in church and learning the Word of God is not just for information, it's for transformation, isn't it? So I love to ask this question. One of the things that happened when I was in India a few years ago, I was training these pastors and I was telling them how I speak and what they can do. And I said, now when I get to the end of my sermon, my last point is, so what? So what? I got done with that session. I'm walking down the middle of the aisle and this guy who I can't speak Hindi, and he can't speak English. He looked at me and he said, so what? Now, the interpreter told him what so what was, and every time I see him, when I go over there, first thing he says is, so what? I say, yeah, so what, okay. So, what are you supposed to do with this? Part of our uniqueness is what we do. My question to you this morning is, what can you do? What can you do? 
we would ask you to join us and feel, feel for the persecuted church. I, I will be honest with you. A couple of months ago, I was sitting in front of my computer, and I do get some of the downloads from Voice of the Martyrs and, and uh, International Christian Concern and other persecuted church ministries, and I was reading about all it, and I just stopped. I was weeping, and I said, God, I can't take this anymore. And I got up from my desk and I went to the other room and just sat there and wept over what was going on. I just couldn't imagine. After a while, I went back to my computer and I continued on. But I tell you, we want you to feel. The Bible says that Jesus is touched with the feelings of our infirmities and we who follow Jesus. And the more you read, the more you pray, the more God will speak to your heart. And then, of course, pray. Pray for them, not periodically, but regularly pray for brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. Thirdly, speak, talk, tell people as often as you can, wherever you can, about what's going on. As I said earlier, one of the biggest struggles is American Christians, they just don't know. Well, you can be a part of telling them and letting them know what's going on. And then as the Lord leads you, you can give. You can give. Well, this is a no-brainer, but I still feel I must say it. We are thankful to the Lord for all that Barnabas Aid is able to do through your gifts and prayers, bringing hope and aid to our persecuted brothers and sisters. Let me close with a word from God because I believe... He has a word that fits well into this category. What is the mark of a Christian according to Jesus? Is it a bumper sticker with a fish on it? Is it a t-shirt with Jesus first? Well, Jesus told His disciples these words in John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, that is, showing love one to another, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. And if we wonder how this is fleshed out, the same writer of the Gospel of John says in 1 John chapter 3, If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in actions and words. Daddy, I can't hear what you're saying. Your actions are speaking too loud, said the little boy. At Barnabas Aid, we believe that our distinctive calling is to exercise this love primarily to other Christians while certainly not neglecting anyone else. I said that a moment ago, and I still mean it. And we get our conviction from Galatians 6.10 where it says we're to do good to all people, but especially to the household of faith, especially. Let me, let me bring it home and close it down. One way to show our love to our fellow believers is to love in actions and words. And when you get time today, I want you to read Hebrews 13 verses 1 through 3 on your own. I'll just mention it to you. Hebrews 13.1 says, let brotherly love continue. Well, there's an assumption that brotherly love is going on. And if you're like me, you're going to say, well, how is brotherly love supposed to happen? Well, 
verse 2 tells us in hospitality. Christians are to be involved in the ministry of hospitality. That's one way to show love. But verse 3 says, remember those who are in prison as if you were in prison with them. And you find out in that literature and other literature how many Christians are in prison simply because of their faith in Jesus Christ. One person has rendered verse 3 this way. Don't forget about those in prison, that is, ill-treated prisoners simply because of their faith in Christ. Suffer with them as though you were there yourself. Share the sorrow of those being mistreated as though you feel their pain in your own bodies. Get involved. Be a Nike Christian. Just do it. Let me close with this true illustration, and I'm done. Said David Huss, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. I attended church since I was a little boy. We'd heard the stories of what was happening to the Jews, but like most people, we tried to distance ourselves from the reality of what was taking place. Why? What could I do about it anyway? A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning, we could hear the whistle from the distance and then the clacking of the wheels moving over the track. We got disturbed when one Sunday we noticed cries coming from the train as it passed by. We grimly realized that the train was carrying Jews to their death. They were like cattle packed into those cars. Week after week, that train whistle would blow. We would dread to hear the sound of those old wheels because we knew that the Jews would begin to cry to us as they passed our church. It was so terribly disturbing. We could do nothing to help these poor, miserable people, yet their screams tormented us. We knew exactly at what time that whistle would blow. And so we decided the only way to keep from being so disturbed by the cries was to start singing our hymns. By the time the train came rumbling past the churchyard, we were singing at the top of our voices. If some of the screams reached our ears, we'd just sing a little louder until we couldn't hear them anymore. Years have passed. Nobody talks about it much anymore. But I can still hear that train whistle in my sleep. I can still hear them crying out for help. God, forgive all of us who call ourselves Christians and still do nothing to intervene. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, the train whistles are blowing all across the world. Paul tells us that when one member suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. Oh, Heavenly Father, this challenge has not been given to chide or throw a guilt trip on anyone. And if what Jesus said is true, we should not do this out of guilt or out of duty or out of any other reason except of love. Because you have loved us, help us to display our love to those who desperately need it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.